Artistic Whispers Productions presents Antithesis Book One Predestination and Other Games of Chance A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net Featuring the vocal talents of Aaron K. Balabanian George Clinsos Stephanie Sawyer Ryan Levy Shannon Holden Philippa Valentine with original music by Danny Shade. This story contains harsh language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now, episode 24. Hello, this is Mer Lafferty from The Takeover, Playing for Keeps, and the latest season in the Heaven series, War. You're listening to Predestination, and this is the story so far. So now we come down to it. Douglas Reeves, judge, and now maybe jury too, has brought his own executioners with him. He's come for the one man who he knows for sure can bring the solar system to its knees, Joss Kyle. Joss, Alyssa Hartman, Cassie Orenthal, and Jim Hartman are all at Reeves' table. What started as a simple bounty hunt for a de facto has turned into the chase of a lifetime for Alyssa, and it might not yet be over. With everyone at the table armed and no one having any reason to trust each other, the future of the resistance movement may depend on what happens in the next few minutes and on the judgment of the man who brought them here. But he's not holding all the cards. The man that they've all come to loathe and fear, political mastermind Bill Shelley, is not what he seems. With the Persian fleet on its way into the colonies, it's only a matter of time before somebody blinks. Depending on who that is, it could change everything. If the people at the table had been any different, the first meeting would have ended with a pile of bodies. Cassie, though she hated to give him the credit, had to admit that Reeves was smoother than almost anyone she'd seen. He knew how to leverage people, and here he had a collection he could intimidate, buy off, blackmail, and use, all of them far more practical than they were vindictive. Cassie knew this, but didn't find it reassuring. Joss also knew this. He also knew that he wouldn't be alive if Reeves actually believed the shit he was shoveling, which meant he was fishing for something else. Two hours of dancing around the head of a pin with this cadre of fallen angels wasn't getting any of them anywhere. The balance of power needed to change. Alphonse! Joss waved at the barkeep. Give us another round and some antipasto. Alphonse nodded to Joss and started pulling loggers for Cassie and Jim. Joss slugged back the last of his coffee and took a moment to reassess. The food and drinks were intentional, having Alphonse bring them around marked time in all their minds. Between that and other little pinpricks he contrived along the way, Joss wore them down. Every little needling nudged each of them to turn on Reeves. If he was lucky, they were all just waiting for someone to step forward and give them permission. If he was unlucky, it might take days. Joss didn't have that kind of patience. He had better things to do than sit as a hostage in his own bar and listen to a dusty 80-year-old bureaucrat try to get him to admit he was a traitor as well as a liar. Give it up, Reeves. You used to be better than this. You've got nothing but suspicion and supposition, and you've had us in here for hours. 
You got no authority besides this garbage you hired. He nodded to each of the Hartmans in turn. And whatever you're holding over Cassie. No jurisdiction, no subpoena, no evidence. I'd be within my rights to have you shot on your way out of here. And don't think I won't unless you cut the shit. Are you going to pony up or are we going to bore these poor tourists to death? Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Alyssa wrinkle her nose. She was too afraid. The time since their last meeting had done something to her, unwound her somehow down underneath her polished facade. Against all his expectations, he could see just how much his little prods were getting to her. <laughs> Good. I didn't say I had legal authority here. I just want to know, Briggs. Just one little question and we'll be done. What did you have to do with the terrorist attacks? Look around, Reeves. I've just fixed the bomb damage here. You're not going to get a different answer by asking the same question over and over. Jesus Christ. Alyssa didn't have the patience she used to. This was a woman who'd waited God knew how long on a stakeout looking for him, and now she was cracking at a negotiation. Look, we get it. You can both outstubborn a herd of Egyptian cat gods. This is pointless. Alyssa stood up and looked at Reeves. Will you fucking tell him already? This is getting us nowhere. Sit down. His tone was gentle. Joss had watched him argue a case before the Supreme Court once, and his voice was always gentlest when he was most earnest. It had an authority that even Alyssa Hartman couldn't defy. She sat down. Very well. The Persians managed to build a fleet of warships in Earth orbit without our spotting them. They couldn't have done that without setting up blind spots in our sensor nets. For months now, American dignitaries have gone missing or been killed or attacked while in the colonies. It all started happening when you slipped away from Washington. And then a couple of months ago, a dock worker with no political history suddenly disappears from Luna City, only to show up here selling Persian state secrets. He comes to you. Joss's stomach sank. He looked over at Cassie, who studiously avoided his gaze. You sold me out. You fucking sold me out to the U.S. government. That's not entirely fair, Briggs. Reeves, coming to her defense? I've known who you were and where you were the whole time. You what? Joss had hoped he could find a way around killing Cassie. She set up the meat and phalanx knowing about the microphones and cameras, knowing that his employees were all strapped. She hadn't told Reeves about the rest of the arsenal tucked in the folds of his coat, which made him think that she was being leveraged and looking for a chance to redeem herself. Just another deceit on a pile of them from someone who knew him far better than she ever should have. Cassie said nothing. Don't hold it against her, Ruben. She didn't sell you out. Like hell. She didn't. I'm the one that ordered her to recruit you. If Doug had followed the athletic track to a football scholarship instead of going out for pre-law, he might have described this maneuver as a Hail Mary pass. Not exactly a move of desperation, but the kind of high-risk strategy that suddenly became rational when your team is one step away from a hopeless situation. He'd managed to intimidate the Green Lady into compliance, and to call the Hartmans to heal with a bribe they couldn't refuse. None of them had required real information as part of their price. Now the Hartmans knew. It was another reason they had to turn on him, payment or no. But whatever grudge they held against him, they were good little mercenaries. They could, and would, hold on till the contract was done. He just had to trust to their professionalism and their greed a little bit longer. 
The green lady would keep for now. You... Briggs' mouth hung open, naked surprise written across all his features. You... He couldn't even finish the sentence. Doug moved on the opening while it was still there. Reuben Briggs was a fixed point in the ever-changing sky. He only dealt in information. It had been just as true in Washington as it was on Nineveh. This information was something he would no doubt kill for. Secrecy on this point served no one. When I heard about your defection, I took steps to ensure your escape. We had people on Sidon, at the elevator, and at Kagarin Station watching for you for two years before you showed up. Bullshit! Ms. Orenthal? The green lady nodded like she was trying to choke down a load of vomit. That was you. She swallowed her contempt and looked at Briggs. I never knew who was above me. You know how the cells are set up. Briggs stared straight at her and she had trouble meeting his gaze. She turned instead to the Hartmans as if they were the ones at the table she was concerned about. I got the dispatch to watch for anything unusual. I found out about your cover at the port of call and roped in a few favors. You had a shiny setup. Almost perfect. But no matter where I looked, nobody ever heard of Alex Hart. The tournament he claimed to have won does exist, and a few years ago, Alyssa Hartman took the prize, so I watched you. Cassiopeia's tone dropped as she finally turned her face back to Briggs, her defiance now matching his rage. And you led me straight to him. Alyssa narrowed her eyes at Doug. You curdle snake's milk just by looking at it. We were on that fucking station for a year, and you took him right out from you under our- work for him? Briggs' eyes bored into the green lady, his poker face all but vanished in a flash of murderous contempt. No, more than contempt. Fear. He was finally afraid. And the green lady finally reached her limit. No, I didn't work for him. I work for me. You know how the cells are set up? You think I'd be caught dead with this piece of earth shit anywhere near me if I knew who he was? I just found out yet- I don't think so. All eyes turned to Jim. He shouldn't have been surprised. He hadn't said so much as three words all day. Verbal fencing was a spectator sport, as far as he was concerned, and it was far more interesting to sit back and watch than to jump into the increasingly pointless fray. But the watching taught him a few things that everyone else had missed. You knew who he was when you met us up at customs yesterday. I just found out yesterday. Briggs turned away from Cassie deliberately, as if shutting her out of his life. Jim snorted. He was right, and lobbing his little grenade into the proceedings did what it was supposed to. Just a small present to Doug for what he'd done to Allie, and his gift to Cassie for what she'd done to both of them. The way she'd been squirming all day, it was perfectly clear that she hated Reeves, and that he was holding something over her. Jim didn't care what. It was also clear that, however she might brazen it out, her relationship with Briggs was a lot deeper than it looked. Forcing her to admit that she knew she was setting him up twisted both knives just a little further. Let her choke on it. Gentlemen, if you're all done waving your dicks at each other... Allie hid her disgust under a smooth, diplomatic tone. The ploy worked. After a few hard looks at one another, the men around the table shook their heads and (laughs) chuckled. (laughs) Quite right, Alyssa. We are getting away from the point of my alleged collaboration with the Persians. Very well, Reuben. My name is Joss Kyle. Mr. Kyle, then. Brass tacks. You've had a colorful career since we last met. 
Doug pulled a PPD from his pocket and started thumbing through it. Defection, several allegations of murder, embezzlement, confidence trick. We've been all through that. You set up an extensive network of operatives through the whole solar system in under a year. You've got information sources inside the government. You're going to read my fucking resume. So what reason could I have for believing that you're not behind the terrorist attacks on the colonies? Why should I entertain the notion that you didn't sell the information to the Persians to keep them off the radar? Maybe trade it for the command codes to a dummy server that you sent up the line eight weeks ago. You were the best analyst they'd seen in two generations in Langley. So tell me, Professor, what rational basis could anyone have for not suspecting you when the operation has your fingerprints all over it? Doug raised his screwdriver to his lips. Briggs' bartender had mixed it heavy, so he only took a sip. The gesture was one he'd used on the bench countless times. Minor, meaningless, projecting blasé confidence that reminded the warring councils to behave themselves. Briggs mirrored him, gesture for gesture. Because, he set his glass down and looked Reeves in the eyes. If I was behind it, the colonies would be on their knees and you'd never have found a trail leading back to me. Cassie's little revolution would already have provoked the U.S. into declaring martial law. Only Luna has ties to the Earth governments. Jim reached across in front of Briggs and retrieved his drink. They can't touch the rest of the colonies. (laughs) Don't you believe it? Jim cocked an eyebrow at Briggs. What do you mean? Do you know what it would take if someone really wanted to rule the solar system? Enlighten us. Doug spread his hands, seating the table to Briggs. None of these colonies is self-sufficient. Oxygen is mined on Luna. Hydrocarbons and water come from the asteroids. Food, medicine, each colony has its specialties. Find the choke point for trade, you'll bring the whole solar system to its knees. Doug nodded. Where are the choke points? Hmm. L3 and L4 for staging areas. As Doug listened, he searched his mental lexicon. If he remembered right, the L points were places in space with perfect gravimetric balance, where a ship, or a station, or a fleet could park and hang over a body without orbiting it. Sidon sat at L5, and Earth's other L-points were used as cargo transfer rendezvous. Then take a few destroyers or heavy cruisers to blockade Luna from orbit, stick one off Phobos. With enough firepower and guile, you could do the job with, uh, eight warships. Everyone was silent, each of them looking to Briggs for the happy ending to his little tale of doom. Briggs sat in a cloud of conceit, silently gloating over his analysis and daring Reeves to challenge him. The Persians have a fleet, Kyle. They are moving out of orbit to the L-points. I have computer records linking you with one Scott Walters who received... What does he have to do with any of this? He was paid to smuggle things through customs. Dangerous things. He's a dock worker, Your Honor. Bribes are part of the job. Not like this. And I'm still waiting for a good reason to believe you're not at the center of this. Briggs leaned forward across the table. How do you tell when a trapdoor spider is hunting? How? Because you can't see him even when you know he must be there. You say my fingerprints are all over this? You lived in Washington for eight years while I was there. You sat on the intelligence court. If you have evidence pointing back to me, then someone planted it. Briggs paused for a second, looking deep into Reeves' eyes as if trying to find out if what he was saying made any difference. And you know it. Maybe. Reeves knew Briggs was right. Shelley's hints, the convoluted trail of breadcrumbs from Scott Walters to Marion's attack to the Persian fleet to here suddenly looked stage-managed. Someone had dropped those crumbs. You have a problem. Doug nodded. 
we all do. We apologize for the inconvenience. All non-essential traffic is currently grounded while safety inspections are carried out on all airlocks. The controller punched the comms button and cursed. Grissom, sprawling five miles around the North Cliff face of Mare Tranquilitatis, now sat officially silent. The regs said that any airlock touching the surface within three clicks of the port fell within its jurisdiction. They also said that any act of sabotage had to be reported. Well, they'd reported it to her, and her hands were tied. Sabotage to an airlock endangered the whole colony. There was no choice but to lock down old Lady Luna. The controller adjusted her headset and pressed the comm switch again. Shut down all cargo areas. Wake up the on-calls. I want ships flying again in two hours. I love you, Lady Green. Come back home soon. Cassie smiled and leaned back against her seat on the tram. There wasn't much about a bad day that couldn't be cured by Brittany's smile, even when she was halfway across the system. Even when Cassie was on Joss duty in ten minutes. Doug had called a recess to deliberate, and the Hartmans had guarded Joss's door all afternoon. She got to guard him all night. That meant Cassie'd had enough time to go back to Curie and get some of her things, freshen up in her own sand, and load her personal messages onto her PPD. She could have retrieved them electronically, but truth be told she wouldn't have remembered if she hadn't seen the gentle, insistent little green light on her pilot's console flashing. Brittany's voice was just the thing to lift the day a little out of the adrenaline and testosterone mishmash it had developed into. It went as well as it could have. No bodies on the deck, and Joss... Well, Joss was Joss. Complete cipher. Three weeks of surveilling the Hartmans on Sidon had taught Cassie two things. That she never wanted to be at a poker table with Alyssa, and that she never wanted to be alone in a dark alley with Jim. Alyssa was vicious, ruthless, and unpleasant, but, today's performance aside, Jim was the more emotional of the two. He lacked the cold control, the poker face, that Alyssa habitually wore. Together they might be a great team, but a day of sitting at a table with them had Cassie wishing she was between planets on Kyrie all over again. Those lessons thrust themselves right up to the front of her mind when she saw the look on Alyssa's face at the table. The woman hadn't even blinked. She just noted Joss's presence and filed the data away for future revenge. Cassie understood that. Yesterday, when she'd met them at customs, Jim had wanted to disassemble her there in the concourse, and it was only the commission that had kept his hand from pulling the gun out of its holster. Cassie understood that, too. What she didn't understand was Joss. He'd clearly been prepared to disembowel her with a swizzle stick most of the meeting. He was a caged animal, and she'd led him into that cage by baiting him with the thin line of trust she'd earned from him over the past two years. It was a shitty thing to do. Whatever Doug had in mind, it had better be fucking brilliant. In the meantime, she had some questions of her own that needed answering, first among them being why she'd found a message from Joss in her inbox inviting her in to dinner. Every time she thought she had him pegged, he surprised her. 
The entrance to Joss's private room stood unobtrusively between two other apartments in a residential block at the ass end of the station. Away from the commercial districts, and as far from prying eyes as anyone could get on a space station, it was an area where, by unspoken agreement, most of the population wore similar hats and coats in the last few hundred yards between the tram station and their front doors. The Hartmans saw her when she rounded the corners a dozen meters down the corridor. They exchanged nods. Jim gestured toward the door, indicating that it was her problem now, and they left. She was supposed to stand guard, of course, but Cassie still needed to get at the truth. She wasn't satisfied yet that Jaws really was a traitor, and she had to know. She stood at the door for a moment, the etched number 13 shimmering almost imperceptibly at her from its surface. Going in might be a mistake. This morning she'd expected that the next time they met they'd exchange plasma and lead, but in the bar today, something unexpected happened. He'd been furious, he'd acted cornered, and then he'd put it away on the shelf like a knick-knack to be retrieved later when the time was right. She knew the smell of desperation, and he'd just turned it off. Whatever might be coming in the next few days, it wasn't going to be good. Her gun sat light on her hip as she reached for the call button. Who's there? Cass. She resisted the temptation to adjust her gun belt. She hated wearing it. It was usually enough to keep her weapon stuffed in a hip pocket. But on Nineveh, such things were expected. She had a reputation to keep up here, too. The door slid open, and she stepped through. The hobbit hole entryway, stacked with shelves of books on either side, had seemed welcoming last night. Joss? He didn't answer. A hint of garlic and basil tickled her nose. Could he be in the kitchen? Why didn't he hear her? She stepped carefully, noting the wing-back chair sitting askew from its normal place, the indentations on the carpet next to the door. She hadn't noticed that last night. They'd been in too much of a hurry. Every step she advanced brought the pungent tickle deeper into her lungs. What did you do, kidnap an Italian dignitary? No reply. Her hand went to her holster, just in case. As she passed the bulkhead into the living room, every door contracted like a union of panic sphincters. Stand very still. His voice still came through the speaker. She had little choice but to comply. Good. Take off the gun belt and toss it into the chair. She couldn't see him. He obviously wasn't in the room. There was no reason to move slowly. She reached both hands down and unhooked the buckle with her left while untying the leg thong with her right. The belt swung free, and she tossed it, weapon and all, into the chair as instructed. She waited. No further sounds came from the speakers. Where are you, Joss? Turn around and face the wall. Cassie shook her head slowly. I'm not armed. If you're going to kill me, Groundhog, have the stones to look me in the eyes while you do it. Turn around, or that's exactly what will happen. It was another little twig of trust, and it might snap under her feet. Would he actually shoot her in the back? Everything she knew about him told her that he was every inch as ruthless as she was. In all her years, and with all the people she'd killed, she'd never shot any of them in the back. She killed to make a point. People who were dead before they knew it was coming never got the point. 
Joss was the same. He might kill her, but he'd do it facing her. It was a slender twig to step on. It was the kind of trust she didn't extend to anyone. Cassie nodded her head and slowly turned around. Put your hands on the bookshelf and spread your legs. She did as she was told, and she heard the door to the bedroom dilate. Joss's footsteps, bare on the carpeting, padded in and came to a stop behind her. I've been very patient, Cass. I've done everything I can not to kill you. Now I have to know, why is Reeves here, really? You'll have to ask him that. I'm asking you. I don't know. She heard Joss sigh behind her as if he were dealing with a dumb student. (sighs) Why did you bring him here? He bought out my whole run. No, why did you bring him here? You could have set up that meet at any bar or restaurant or hotel room on the station, but you set it up at Phalanx. You know what goes on in there. You knew I'd have home court advantage, and you brought him in anyway. You didn't tell him about the other weapons I was holding, but you did bring him in and the Hartmans and didn't warn me. Looks to me like you're trying to play both sides against the middle, but I can't figure out what you stand to gain out of it. Whose side are you on, Cassie? I'm on my side, Joss. And right now, I don't know who's here with me. What does he have on you? She laughed bitterly. His position in the cell above me isn't enough. You said you didn't know about that till this morning, but you've been his personal messenger since you left Luna, so either you're lying or he's holding something over your head. Cassie held her breath. She knew he'd find the right question eventually, and she couldn't afford to give him a straight answer. If he was as dirty as Scott Walter's PPD made him look, she couldn't afford to let him figure the rest out. She couldn't let him figure out that Reeves was Loxley. She couldn't let him know that she was the Green Lady back home. As far as he knew, she was a spacer with a bad attitude and a lot of good connections. If he found out who she was, and he was false... He's... I did it as a favor. Since when do you do favors for law enforcement? No. Not for him. For... She could barely choke out the name. Jade. Your sister. What does she have to do with this? He's her lover. I have to get him home safe. It was as much truth as she could afford. Her lower back and legs were starting to ache from the undignified position she was holding. She felt Joss's gun slide up along her spine and rest at the base of her skull, pushing her forward and off balance. I don't believe you. It's the truth. We'll see. What is it about this man that scares you so much, Joss? I never thought I'd see you pissing your pants like you were today. Is he right about you? Do you know who he is? Joss's voice broke, his outrage and terror seeping out over the carpet like the innards of an egg. He's a judge, a politician, he sits on the board. Do you know who appointed him? I don't give a fuck about the Terran... Did you know... His breath was hot in her ear as he hissed at her that that son of a bitch was sponsored in every appointment for the last 20 years by Bill Shelley, the senator who just hung Luna out to dry, the fucker who put the price on my head. You brought the lion straight to my fucking doorstep. She clenched the bookshelves, the ends of her fingers looking for something she could stab him with or throw at him or anything that would get him out of her ear and get to her gun. 
She'd never seen him like this. She'd seen him angry, she'd seen him tender, she'd seen him upset, but she'd never seen him unhinged and paranoid. And you're telling me you didn't know? Joss. She took a page from his playbook and played it as calm as a nipped cat. I swear to you by the goddess below, I didn't know. She didn't dare breathe in case she coughed or jerked or spooked him into shooting. The moment held suspended in the garlicky air for what felt like hours. Her legs were going rubbery, her arm muscles were trembling. She wouldn't be able to hold herself up much longer, and when she collapsed, she wouldn't be able to do anything. You did it for Jade? Yes. She barely whispered it. Joss stepped back, circling around behind her again. I believe you. Cassie let her breath out, nearly collapsing as the tension lifted from her. I can't hold myself up much longer. Not yet. God damn it, Joss. No. I have one more question. Then ask it already. Assuming he's not working for Shelley, what is he going to do? I am not sure. Guess. If you're a traitor, I think he'll have you killed. If you're not, I don't think he'd come all the way out here to talk to you himself if he didn't need you for something. Her legs were shaking now, her body swaying as it kept catching itself from falling. She could feel the sweat running in rivulets down her neck and her spine. If he didn't wrap it up, she'd fall down whether it killed her or not. Why didn't... You said one more question. I lied. Joss, I can't hold myself up. Then answer quick. Why did you bring him into Phalanx? I told you! You told me you weren't sure I was guilty. That's not why you set him up so I could have killed him if I wanted to. Because I... Hot needles seemed to be poking into her bone marrow. Everything burned. If he didn't let her up, she was going to stand up on her own and shoot him once she remembered how to walk. God damn it! Because I didn't want him to take you. There. She'd said it. As soon as it was out, she wished she hadn't answered. Now he'd think he could play her. Maybe he'd be right. Stand up. His voice was flat. Affectless. The demands were gone. The anger was gone. It was as if a computer had suddenly taken over and Joss wasn't there anymore. Cassie stepped forward to get her feet beneath her, then stood up, her legs now barely supporting her weight. She leaned heavily against the bookshelf and heaved to catch her breath. Don't turn around. We're not done yet. The deadness seemed to creep out of his voice and push its way into her. She shivered. Can I trust you? It was like a whisper from the center of a black hole. Trust me for what? Can I trust you? His voice cracked at the edges, as if the words were holding back a river of need. She wanted to say yes, to let him know she understood him. She wanted to trust him. She'd waited a long time to find an ally who matched her in the ways that counted. But if he wanted her unconditional trust, then he was either guilty as hell, or he was planning something disastrous. She wouldn't ask that question for any other reason, and she knew he wouldn't either. No, you can't. She wasn't even sure it was true, but she knew she couldn't afford to have him think she was squarely in his corner. I see. Thank you. She heard his gun decock, but she still didn't turn around. With the pressure off, she didn't need to fight, and she wanted the few seconds of silence to collect her thoughts. This would end badly. Maybe it was already ending badly. The next 24 hours would see Joss dead, or in prison, or suddenly paired up all buddy-buddy with someone he obviously detested. None of the alternatives looked good for him, and all of them would take him out of his position in her organization. That was something she didn't want, but she didn't see any other way. 
Cassie? Yes? Close your eyes. She shouldn't have listened to him, she knew. But after today's interminable intrigues, she didn't really give a damn anymore. He had the gun, she didn't, and they had nothing worth fighting over. If he wanted to make another point, he could jolly well make it and then leave her alone to relax, find some food, maybe call Brittany. Talk to someone who wasn't completely crazy. Cassie closed her eyes. Stand up. She stood up. She heard Joss approach. She felt his body heat on her right side, but he didn't touch her. Open your mouth. His breath was close now, on her neck, and she shivered. She opened her mouth. He placed something on her tongue. Bite down. She bit, slowly, making sure there was nothing in it that would cut her. Her teeth and tongue found a small square of bread topped with garlic and butter and feta. Extremely sharp, almost unpleasant. It melted in her mouth like a sugar cube. She chewed it slowly, letting the flavor spread around like liquor. That's good. She felt Joss's lips at her ear. Now I know. He laid his fingers on her right hip and raked them up to her ribs, slipping them beneath her tunic. Her legs, already weak, nearly gave way as she gripped the bookshelf with her left hand. This man knew his way around a woman. She arched back and opened her mouth and latched onto him. Her body was still trembling and throbbing from the exertion, but the fatigue made every nerve ending sear under his touch. His fingernails on her ribs opened her skin like splinters of dry ice. If there were going to be enemies tomorrow, she was not going to waste tonight. Her hand found his fly and snaked its way inside, and she wrapped her hand around his scrotum, pushing her fingernails in all around it, and squeezed. His eyes popped open and he pulled back, fixing her as if he fully expected her to castrate him. She fluttered her grip, pushing farther into his skin. He winced, even as his cock pushed wet against her wrist. Now it's my turn. Do you trust me? He seemed caught for a second, as if he didn't know what the right answer was. Then he gave her a tentative, tense smile. No, I don't. Good. Don't you dare... Holding her bull by the balls with her right, she turned around and grabbed what little was left of his hair in her left fist and pulled him up to her, attacking him as if she were starving. His fingers found her clit and rubbed in circles just gently enough to make her push against him, pinning his hand between her vulva and his leg and bucking her hips. She let her grip loose and ran her fingernails up to his cock, scratching along its length. He would remember tomorrow, even if he didn't want to. It would itch every time he moved. He wiggled his hand against her bucking, working two of his fingers up inside her until they pressed into her G-spot. Then he pressed his palm against her pubic bone and squeezed and lifted. He kept pushing up until she was barely standing on her toes. She moaned, the pain of her whole body resting on his fingers, pressing into her, almost making her come right there. She bit his lip and dug her fingernails into his cock. He grabbed the hair on her head and looked her in the eyes. She knew he could see the dare there. Don't ask again. I never will. Don't you ever. Now, she knew where she stood. You've been listening to episode 24 of Antithesis, book one, Predestination, and other games of chance. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Original music by Danny Shade. Used with permission. 
This episode starred George Klensos as Douglas Reeves, Aaron Balabanian as Allie, Stephanie Sawyer as Cassie Orenthal, Brian Levy as Jim, and Shannon Holden as the air traffic controller. Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2008 Kitty Nikian and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook was recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 1997 and 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. My name is Justin McCumber. I'm the creator and one of the co-hosts for the Dead Robots Society podcast. Every week we discuss a variety of topics that are fundamental to the craft of writing. From the differences between tone and theme, to world building, to how to create compelling antagonists. Along with the roundtable discussions, we've also had the pleasure of interviewing published authors, television writers, podcast luminaries, publishing house founders, and magazine editors. We're dedicated to our listeners, and we work hard to pack our episodes with as much quality education and entertainment as possible. We never stop encouraging ourselves and our listeners to always be writing and to always be improving. The promised land of publication is our goal, and we know that together we can achieve it. If we can also have a good laugh along the way, all the better. You can find us online at www.deadrobotssociety.com. At our website, you'll find show notes, links to our personal sites, our email address, and direct download links to our episodes. You'll also find a link to our forums where we've created a private critique group so that you can safely post your work and get comments and suggestions from us as well as our listeners. All we ask is that you participate by critiquing in return. So come to our site, subscribe to our show, and join us. You can also find us at iTunes. Just search for Dead Robots and we'll be there. After that, get writing. We are... So, tomorrow is when it all happens. Doug makes his decision, Cassie chooses sides, and the course of history hangs in the balance. Buried Alive in the Blues is almost done. Look for it on Erotica a la carte this week. If you thought the end of this episode was racy, this story will make you think again. Also keep an eye on the Sci-Fi Journal, where I have an article posting later this week on science fiction, religion, and the apotheosis of man. Danny Shade continues to kick ass with the music here. If you haven't found it already, check out the interview with him on the feed. He talks about his creative process, how our collaboration works, and his musical roots and influences as well as telling the story behind several of the coolest pieces he's written for Predestination. Those of you in the Bay Area, I'll be at Baycon Memorial Day weekend. If you're planning to go, drop me a line. We can set up a time for all of us to meet in the bar and hang out for a while. I'm also going to set up another pub crawl here before too long, something to commemorate the wrap-up. I'll have more time to schedule it in a couple of weeks once I get all the production for Predestination done, and I'll definitely keep you posted. 
Also, if you're a fan of crime fiction and in the Bay Area, check out the book tour dates for Seth Harwood. He's launching Jack Wakes Up with a big press on May 5th, and he's giving a lot of talks and readings in the area over the next couple of weeks. He's a great guy, and it's a fun book, so check it out at www.sethharwood.com. Remember that you can leave questions, comments, criticisms, attaboys, and death threats at dan at jdsawyer.net or on the blog at antithesis.jdsawyer.net. You can call and leave a voicemail, and please do, at area code 206-350-5739. I love hearing back from you guys and hearing how you're reacting to the story as it unfolds. And do remember to spread the word. If you like what you're hearing, and if you don't, why are you listening? Tell your friends, post a link, give away MP3s, leave iTunes reviews and Podcast Alley and Podcast Pickle reviews, and pelt your enemies with CD copies of the first few episodes to get people hooked. And remember, your enemies, not your friends. Also, drop because you'll lose your friends that way. Also, drop by our Zazzle store and get a My Name is Joss Kyle or another Predestination t-shirt. I'll have the next episode for you very soon. Until then, I leave you with the nagging questions. How will Cassie get the answers she's looking for? With the Persian fleet bearing down on them, what will Doug decide to do about Joss? What's going to happen on Luna with Volish and Percy? And perhaps most importantly, who will survive the next 24 hours? Find out next time. And until then, remember, it isn't whether you win or lose. It's how you rig the game.